The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your mercy. Your mercy is more. Your grace is sufficient, Lord. Uh, we pray today uh, with all the um, the changes and in, 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 uh, instability and, and things that are not constant, that you are constant, that you are unchanging, Lord, and that your mercy is more. Uh, I pray that your name will be glorified today in your name alone. And we pray that your name will be lifted up. Uh, be with us today. Um, open our hearts and our mind as we hear your words and as we learn from you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace City. Uh, it's great to uh, think about the future uh, because, again, we're going to be heading back to UC High School very soon, and uh, I'm, I'm so excited to, to think about uh, just this next season of ministry that we're about to be a part of. Uh, but again, I do want to thank the, the different teams of people who've been serving. Um, and so the people who came and set up and brought everything over here, uh, the production team who helped navigate some of the, even the uh, electrical things that were going on here, because those things are hard to navigate uh, in a park. But by God's grace, we've been able to, to get there. And so can we just thank the people who serve each week and really help to make this happen? It takes a lot of people to do that. Um, and I think, you know, it's a good reminder that in the, the grand scheme of things, um, the, the little things that happen, right, the, the, the things that kind of throw us off are really small things in the grand scheme of, of everything. And so um, I'm happy to to be a part of, of this church and be able to move forward and, and, and really see what God is, is going to be doing in this next season. Now, we're in the book of Acts, and so if you're just joining us today, uh, welcome. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts this year, and we're uh, over halfway through the book of Acts. And so we're in Acts 15, uh, verses 36 through 41 today. Um, but this text, for me, is encouraging. Um, it might seem to some of us as discouraging, but it's very encouraging because it, it shows me that the people that were in the book of Acts were like you and me. They're people who have opinions. And sometimes those opinions don't always line up with each other. And, and so it's refreshing to, to look at the Bible and see that, you know what, they, they were people too. And it's not just any people, it, it's, it's Paul and Barnabas. And so as we've been going through this journey of looking through the book of Acts and seeing that, uh, you know, that God is doing amazing things, we also see that there's, there's relational tension that arises. There's things that happen. And so today's message is this, overcoming adversity in relationships. 
Overcoming adversity in relationships. Because today, all of us at some level have relationships. And as we look at this text today, we see that it's not always easy or smooth sailing. And so how does the Bible define a relationship that, that, that's helpful for us to understand what relationships are all about? Well, some of the two most important relationships are friendships and family, right? Well, in Proverbs 17, 17, it describes those relationships like this. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Now, this is a broad stroke statement about relationships. Proverbs helps us because Proverbs is like this broad stroke that helps us to say this is kind of a generalization of like what relationships are. And so he said, in the best case scenario, a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for a time of adversity. Well, here's the thing. The Bible is not unrealistic about life, family, friendships. Here it says that a true friend loves at all times. Now, what, is that, what does that mean? Well, it means that family is going to be there through the adversity, whether you like it or not, right? They're going to be there. But friendships will overcome anything and could be there in any situation to love at all times. Now, why does the Bible say this? Well, it's the truth that all of us know. That family is given, but friendships are chosen. Right? Friendship is voluntary. Family is that well, my family didn't really choose me, right? They, they got me. They're given. And so those are blood relationships, but there's something that can go beyond it. And he's talking about friendship here. Friendships are chosen. They're voluntary. But what does this help us to understand? That the truth is, there will be difficult moments in any relationship. But in the midst of the difficulty, how do you overcome adversity, family or not? And how can deep friendships be forged? In our culture, friendships and relationships, in many ways, have become disposable. There are constantly relationships imploding, exploding, going sideways. And, and the crazy thing is that we love all the, the details to it. I mean, there's whole, whole news outlets dedicated to reporting every gruesome detail of relational breakups, right? There are no perfect relationships. Times of difficulty, conflict, disagreements are inevitable. Even the best friendships and relationships have it. But what does it look like to have a friendship that works through Adversity. Well, we get a firsthand look in Acts 15, 36 through 41. And I don't have to say this because we all know it's true that, that our world in many ways has changed. We, we've whittled down the word friendship to followers and likes. And this is having significant side effects on all of us. Because it's not just people that you know right here, right now, that you're face-to-face with, but it's people across the country. It's people across the world that now you're friends with. And in many ways, we see that God intended for friendships to be face-to-face. 
See, the Harvard Business Review discovered that there was this simple uh, thing that that a face-to-face request is 34 more more times successful than an email. But here's the thing. We can't get away from the fact that we live in a digital world. But it's saying that we desperately need face-to-face interactions. And so how many times does conflict arise in relationships when... There's a text or an email or a direct message that's sent to us. In 2009, Jody Bruner uh, wrote an article about this, and, and here's what she said. She says, email doesn't convey context. We experience email as words on a screen, but we miss seeing a unique face in a, con- a unique context. One report on this study concludes, this makes it easy to forget the humanness of our recipient. Consequently, Email style tends to be more serious and less friendly, more aggressive and less polite. Have you ever felt that before? You read words on a screen and you you automatically think something or assume something. See, the truth is we need friendships and relationships like our ancestors had. Eugene Peterson, when commenting on the friendship between David and Jonathan in the Old Testament said, Jonathan's covenant friendship with David brackets Saul's repeated attempts to kill David. Jonathan lives his covenantal friendship in hard circumstances. Many a covenantal friendship is lived out similarly in Saul's court, in marital, family, work, and cultural conditions that are hostile to avowed intimacy. See, we all need lasting relationships through difficult moments in life. And Peter, or Peterson makes the point that David would not have survived the attacks of Saul in the Old Testament without Jonathan's friendship there. So what can we learn today about overcoming adversity in relationships? Well, we get to Acts 15, 36 through 41. And to give some background here, Paul and Barnabas started a friendship back in Acts 9, 26 through 30. When Barnabas stood up for Paul when no one else would. At that time, Paul was known as Saul, and Paul was known for persecuting the church. But God radically saves him. And Barnabas set aside the persecution, set aside the past that Paul had, and said, I accept you, and built a friendship with him. And from that point, he showed him grace. And their friendship to this point in Acts 15 had lasted over 15 years. And now they were ready to set sail on what we call the second missionary journey. But the big question is this. We're going on the second missionary journey, but who's on the team? Who's on the team? Well, this is where the conflict comes in. In Acts 12, 25, we learn that Barnabas and Saul brought a man named John Mark. And they brought him to Antioch with them from Jerusalem. And what we find out in Colossians 4.10 is that this is very personal because John Mark isn't just anybody. Colossians 4.10 tells us that John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. The plot thickens, right? So what's the problem? Well, in Acts 13.2, Barnabas and Saul decided to take John Mark uh, along as an assistant and in Acts 13.5, and we've already talked about this, but something happened after the team left Cyprus. 
Luke only mentions it in one sentence in Acts 13, 13. Now Paul and his company set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. He left them. Two words right there, right? Should fly off the page to us. Left them. And now, let's fast forward to Acts 15. These two longtime friends, it says, have a sharp disagreement about John Mark's involvement in the second missionary journey. And now that we know the details, we could say this could have the potential to destroy a solid friendship if not handled in a healthy, Christ-centered way. It could destroy a, a friendship. It's that personal. And so the question is, how do relationships last through adversity? Because again, adversity is going to come for all of us. But how does it last through it? Well, let's look at three aspects that we can consider from today's text. Number one is seeing the other side. Number two is seeking a healthy resolution And number three is trusting God for reconciliation. Seeing the other side, seeking a healthy resolution, trusting God for reconciliation. And so the first one is seeing the other side. Look at verses 37 through 39. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take uh, with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Remember that? And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Now, we've always heard it said there's always two sides to a story. But the temptation is to only want to see our side of the story. Right? Isn't that true in the, 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 the grand scheme of things? We just want to see my side of the story. This is what I've been through. This is what I'm going through. And so our temptation in our flesh is to say, there is no other side because my side is the right side. But what did it look like for Paul and Barnabas? Well, look at verses 37 through 38. Uh, Verse 37 says, Barnabas wanted. Verse 38 says, Paul thought best. Barnabas wanted. Paul thought best. Now, there was some shifting that started to happen in their relationship as well, because what we had seen before was Barnabas was always mentioned before Paul. But now there was this shift that was happening where Paul was taking on more of a leadership role, and Barnabas was mentioned second. And so there was already a shift starting to happen in their relationship. And a part of seeing the other side is this, being able to be honest about what we think, to share our heart without getting shut down. This is an important aspect, because what we see here is that both of them had an opinion and held on to their opinions pretty strongly. Look at verse 39. 
It says that Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. Now, in the Greek, this carries the idea of irritation. Irritation. They were irritated with each other because they held the opinion that they did. There was an irritation. Now, can friends and family irritate each other because of their thoughts or opinions? Yes, (laughs) it happens, right? Everybody's quiet right now. I don't want to let the person next to me know that. Commentator Tony Morita says this. He says, "They they were men, not angels. Flawed humans, even these mighty missionaries will sometimes face moments of contention. It humanizes the people that are in this story. We can all have our mix of we're living in the spirit, but also leaning into the flesh, right? I want my way. And so they were irritated with each other, and it doesn't mince words on that. See, Paul is is basing his opinion on a past experience with John Mark. You see it? It comes out again. He says, it says it very clearly. And I love Luke because Luke doesn't get into, here's what he said and here's what he said and here's what they did and all that stuff. It it doesn't give us the details like we would see on TMZ or something like that, that, right? Like we want to know what really happened. I want to know the whole story here. I want to know how this went down, but it doesn't give us that. He gives us what we need, not what we want. And what we need to know is the truth. And the truth is that John Mark left them in a really hard position. And so Paul had an opinion about that. And that was okay. But also Barnabas had an opinion as well. His opinion was this, that John Mark was his cousin. He probably knew John Mark better than Paul did. And he believed in the transforming grace that he could see in people specifically in the life of his own cousin, right? And so he's probably at this moment where he's like, Paul, brother, don't you know that we live by grace? Do you remember what you were like when I accepted you as my friend? Do you remember that? Right, there was probably some interaction that went on like that. But here's what can. Kent Hughes says this. He said, this is complicated, right? He says, our judgment goes with Paul. Makes sense. But our hearts go with Barnabas. And our minds were like, yeah, Paul's right. But our hearts go with Barnabas. Oh, I see how he could love his cousin like that and believe in him and want to see the best, right? That's the case here. And and this is very personal for both Paul and Barnabas. And they, they were close enough that they could have an honest conversation about it. But even even if it stirred up strong emotions about it. See, in, in gospel relationships, both parties are able to have an opinion on a subject without being manipulated or bullied into changing their mind. Right? You can have your opinion, but we got to make a decision. And sometimes what happens is you can be manipulated or bullied into changing your mind. Well, this is my way or the highway, and that's it. You see, in this case, this wasn't a right or wrong issue. It was a gray area. But do you know what can happen sometimes? And this is really gets into like where, where people make it into. This is a, this, this is a more in, in, uh, intense argument. 
they, they, they knew the gospel, right? But they didn't go to that place where like, well, you're being a heretic because you want to take, you want to take John Mark with us. It's not that place, right? This isn't a doctrine issue or any of those types of things. This is a decision that they thought best. He's not being manipulated or bullied into changing his mind about it. But you see, in this case, it was gray. It wasn't a theological issue. And ultimately, both of them didn't use this as an opportunity to selfishly pout and fight to prove their point. See, this isn't the, you're not my friend anymore response. Unfriended. It's not that. But it does say that it got so emotional that they had to separate from each other. And here's the thing. Sometimes you need space to reflect, to get with God, and to remember the big picture. Sometimes you need that. James 4.1 says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What are those passions, the selfish passions, the selfish desires, the self-justification, everything that's in us that fights me, 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 right? It's those things that that just settle down deep in there, but it's sin. And we need space and we need God, the Holy Spirit, to convict us. And sometimes that takes space. See, many times open communication with selfish, selfish motives can result in a sinful response. So by God's grace, we need to see the other side. We need to ask for God's perspective, right? It's easy to see my perspective because I've been through it, I've lived it, and I understand things that maybe I feel like the other person doesn't. But also, there is another side, and I need to be willing to listen to that and hear that in a way that that, that can promote health and healing. And ultimately, I need God's perspective because he knows all the details, right? And he knows all the areas in me that needs to change. And so what happens next? Well, seeking a healthy resolution. Look at verses 39 through 41. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, again, this was an intense personal matter, but it didn't ultimately ruin their friendship and stop them from the mission of God. You see, later in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, we see that Paul mentions himself together with Barnabas. They came together again. They were still friends. They were still partners in ministry. See, in this text, they worked out a healthy resolution And the obstacle turned into an opportunity to reach more people with the gospel. Here's the thing. One mission trip turned into two. And now they're reaching more people. See, because Paul, or Barnabas, was able to go with John Mark to visit the churches in Cyprus, which hadn't been visited yet. Paul was able to strengthen the churches in Syria and Cilicia and raise up another leader in Silas. So here's what's happening here. And and about this, uh, one commentator, Daryl Bach, writes, what resulted was a solution that allowed the advance of the gospel to continue but recognize a need for distinct ministries. Sometimes this is the best solution. 
Okay, so it wasn't about whether they were friends anymore or whether they were brothers in Christ anymore or any of those things, but it was about what was the healthiest thing. And they said, it's probably best for me to go uh, Barnabas with Mark and, and, and Paul to raise up someone else in Silas. Now, why many times do we not get to a healthy resolution like this? Well, it's because of what I said earlier. It's, I want my way. In an article entitled, Why Famous Friends Fell Out, Janae Luciana writes, From friends to frenemies. It happens oh so often in Hollywood and in real life. But A-listers, perhaps the pressures of high-profile careers, are are not just enough to strain a relationship to the breaking point. Outside pressures aside, when friends become enemies, experts say it could be their egos at fault. According to New York-based marriage and therapist uh, Dr. Paul Hochemeyer, celebrities need attention and external validation to feed their insatiable narcissism. Their narcissism in turn consumes them with self-obsession, qualities that destroy relationships and provoke hostility from others. Uh, When two narcissistic celebrities enter into a relationship with one another, the results are toxic and explosive. And here's the thing. It's funny, right, to like look at celebrities and and, and look at their relational world and say, oh, they're so narcissistic and all of these things. But in many ways, we need to look in the mirror, right? Because that's what happens in our lives that we need to repent of. I need to repent of those things. Those things are true about me. But what was the foundation of Paul and Barnabas's relationship? It wasn't about their egos. It wasn't about themselves. It was Jesus. See, ultimately they understood that it wasn't about them. Ultimately, they didn't, they didn't allow self to get in the way of God's work, but instead leaned into his grace. Look at verse 40. Having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Together, Paul and Barnabas held onto God's grace, not onto trying to convince each other. I'm right, you're wrong. God's right. Let's look at what he wants. And they ended up not going on one mission trip, but two. And so lastly, it's this, trusting God for reconciliation. Now, what, what we have the advantage of is something that they didn't have the advantage of as they were going through this. We have the advantage of flipping to the end of the story. Don't you always love that? You're like, what happens at the end of the story? And we have the advantage of being able to do that. And so 2 Timothy 4.11 helps us to fast forward to the end of the story. Here's what it says in 2 Timothy 4.11. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, John Mark, and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Now, this verse from 2 Timothy was the last book written by Paul before his death. He's imprisoned and he's about to die. And through the miraculous work of God, there was a reconciliation at some point that had happened between Paul and John Mark. And no longer was John Mark defined by the dude who left us, who betrayed us, because, you know, the reality, betrayal can can run pretty deep. He wasn't the guy who betrayed us, who left us. 
in our time of need. No. John Mark was somebody who Paul trusted. Now, this is important because we need to see that reconciliation took time. It took time. This wasn't instantaneous like we want it to be, right? And in many ways, it's instantaneous to us because we can fast forward through the story. But they didn't. See, ultimately, God had a much bigger plan than Barnabas and Paul could have seen at the time of their disagreement. God, in his sovereign plan, transformed John Mark into a solid minister of the gospel. God did it in John Mark's life. See, what this reminds us of is that you and I can't really give up on anybody because the possibility of God changing their heart and their life is real. It's real. And God had done that in John Mark's life. In his sovereign plan, he transformed him. And in the end, it was God who restored their relationship together through the conflict, through the reality. See, this is grace. This is what grace is. Yes, there's broken relationships. Yes, it doesn't deny the fact that John Mark left them and said, that hurt. But it gets them to a place where they couldn't have been apart from what God had done in their hearts. And that took time. John Piper said, was it Paul's tough rebuke or Barnabas's tender patience that saved John Mark for the cause of the gospel? Or could it have been both? In any case, the Lord brought victory out of contention. And Mark not only became useful to Paul, but also served as Peter's interpreter and wrote our second gospel, the gospel according to Mark. Who wrote the book, the gospel according to Mark? It was John Mark. He and Peter together wrote that. You think about the grand narrative, the grand scheme of things, the thing that, that's much bigger than what we can see at the time. It's the hope that God could do more than what we can see in the moment. It's trusting God for that reconciliation. And so just some takeaways today. How can we overcome adversity in relationships? Well, here's the first one. By understanding that forgiveness and reconciliation are two separate processes. Are two separate processes. It took me a long time to understand that. It wasn't until uh, one of my coaches told me, he says, that, that's the reality, is that don't put those two together like they happen instantaneously. Because I, I, I said, what about those things that Jesus says about forgiveness? It's hard for me to forgive. It's hard. And he, said, he says, yeah, it's because you're, you're, you're mixing reconciliation with forgiveness. Reconciliation is something that does take time. Randall, but, but, but God does something in your heart that's instantaneous in its forgiveness and it's repenting and saying, yes, th th this hurt and, and I, I need your help, God, to forgive. Steve Cornell in a Gospel Coalition article entitled How to Move from Forgiveness to Reconciliation writes this. He says, Jesus clearly warned that God will not forgive our sins if we do not forgive those who sin against us. Matthew 6, 14 through 15, Mark eleven twenty five. 25. 
It's not that we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving. Instead, God expects forgiven people to forgive. Yet, forgiveness is very different from reconciliation. It's possible to forgive someone without offering immediate reconciliation. It's possible for forgiveness to occur in the context of one's relationship with God apart from contact with their offender. But reconciliation is focused on restoring broken relationships. And where trust is deeply broken, restoration is a process, sometimes a lengthy one. Differing from forgiveness, reconciliation is often conditioned on the attitude and actions of the offender. While it's aimed for restoration of a broken relationship, those who commit significant and repeated offenses must be willing to recognize that reconciliation is a process. If they're genuinely repentant, they will recognize and accept that the harm they've caused takes time to heal. In many cases, even if an offender confessed his wrong to the one he hurt and appealed for forgiveness, the offended person could justifiably say, I forgive you, but it might take time for me to regain trust and restore a relationship. The evidence of genuine forgiveness is personal freedom from a vindictive and vengeful response, Romans 12, 17 through 21, but not always an automatic restoration of relationship. Does that make sense? Some of you have walked through some very, very difficult things. Very hard relational things where trust has been broken. And you look at a text like this and you have to be reminded that, yes, forgiveness in the heart. Yes, these things are real and, and asking God to help in the forgiveness process. But the restoration part, we, 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 can, we can run to that and think, well, that's, that's what I'm commanded to do. But it takes time. It takes time. In many ways, I know that many of us are walking wounded, walking wounded because of the relationships that have happened and broken up and all of this through social media or whatever it might be. But it's hard. The second takeaway is this. God is more active than we think. God is more active than we think. And this to me is the greatest hope of all. This is the gospel good news, that God is active in our lives beyond the hurts and pains. C.S. Lewis paints this captivating picture of God's plan in friendship. He says this, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the, 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 the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a, a, a topic being raised or not raised at a, at a first meeting, any of those chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there's strictly speaking no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to his disciples, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, ye have not cho chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is this instrument by which God reveals to each one of us beauties of others. Isn't that a beautiful picture? how friends come in your life and seasons come and, and, and the perfect like friendship is built through that season. See, God is there. He's active. And I need to know that and you need to know that too. Remember what it said in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times 
and a brother is born for a time of adversity. You know, for many of us, we can walk away and we can think to ourselves today, well, hmm, I can do this. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be a better friend. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all of these things to make things right. My hope is this, that you walk away and you think, I can't do this. Man, I can't do this. Especially with the pressures of this world and the things that we've gone through. Like, I can't do this. This is too hard. Spent through too much. I need a savior. I need a greater friend to help me. And I want to present you with the greatest news of all. That as we look at that verse from Proverbs 17, 17, it's this. You see, Jesus Christ is that friend that you and I all need. He was the friend that loved at all times when we were our most unlovely. He's the brother who willingly faced the adversity so that ultimately we didn't have to. He's the one that all of us need so that we can become the picture of a type of friend and have the type of relationships that endure and overcome to the very end. Like I said, in many ways, it's not in us. It's not in me. But Christ in me, he can change me and make me into somebody that I could have never been. First and foremost, before anything, look to the greater friend. Look to the brother who took on the adversity by going all the way to the cross for you and me. And through that friendship, you'll find a changed heart that will be able to go out into a broken world and start to do the healing process that only Jesus can do. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for being able to look at this text and know that it wasn't just some story that we're reading today, but it's history. It happened. Thank you, God, that your word doesn't just brush over these things, but puts it there so that we can wrestle with it as well. Pray that your Holy Spirit convict our hearts and help us, Lord. Help us to heal. I know that many of us have gone through things where we are brokenhearted, where it is hard to trust, where it's easy to... Or it's easy to just trust anything. <laughs> but I pray that your gospel helps us to gain wisdom and your grace to move forward into the world, knowing that you're with us and you're helping us every step. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.